there are some words, we just sang the song, ancient words. There are some of the ancient words in the Bible that are more difficult to understand than others. And there are some parts of the Bible which, frankly, we don't like because they sound, they, they rankle and they jangle with what we understand in our culture today. And so when we, when we read words like this, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, we find it very difficult to understand what could they possibly mean. But before I, by God's grace, unpack what the Bible is really saying, marriage is a funny thing. Anyone here is married? You're part of that club? Okay, raise your hands. Um, I won't ask anyone, you know. Uh, not everyone gets married. Not everyone has to get married. There are many examples in the scripture of people who are not married. Jesus, for example, wasn't married. And so if you really want to be like Jesus, technically, okay. St. Paul was not married. Daniel wasn't married. Neither were the three Hebrew boys. Jeremiah wasn't married. There are plenty of examples of people in the scripture who do powerful things who weren't married. But for those who do get married, marriage, in my perhaps not so humble opinion, is the most important thing you will do if you get married. Someone once said that if you do marriage right, it's like heaven on earth. But if you do it wrong, I'll let you fill in the blanks. So the title of my talk this morning is How to be happy and married at the same time. Now this does not really apply to you two because you've been married not even a month yet. Not even a month. Look at them. Look at their faces. Look how happy they are. Look how full of hope their hearts are. There are some of us who have been married almost, well, me and my wife, July the 20th, will be six years. I know. I know you're th what you're thinking. Man, you must have got married as children. I know. I know. How, how can I look this young and already be married six years? I know. Don't. I'll give you the tips later. No, we've been married six years. Some of you have been married 10, some 15, some even longer. And if we're honest, our culture portrays marriage kind of like a roller coaster. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? Right? Been to Alton Towers or Thorpe Park and all those places. You queue up, you're excited, everyone's happy, everyone's get excited to get on the ride. But the crazy thing is, once you're on the ride, the ride that you paid a lot of money to come into and get on, once you're on it, most people spend the whole time with their eyes closed, their hands in the air, screaming, ah! right? And then you get off, you stumble off, and somebody has taken a picture of you, right? And you look like this, oh, you know? And then they, and then they actually ask you for four pounds. And you're like, no, destroy it. I don't want anyone ever to see that face. In our culture, if, if you read the books or you, you, you listen to, to the radio or, or watch TV, that's kind of what marriages seem like. Here are these lines of happy single people just living their lives, having fun, meeting people, and then they get married. And some fly off only halfway through. Some jump out. Others, they forgot to, to take their wallet out of their pocket and so all their money falls down out of their pocket after they're upside down. And those who do make it to the end, 
You see them holding hands, just kind of just walking through life like, what just happened to us? We were just young the other day. What did, what? Is this what marriage is? Is marriage just a convenient tax avoidance scheme with benefits? Is marriage just a good way to make sure that you get a mortgage? Or, or, or is marriage designed by God to be a life-giving thing? And if so, how can we be happy and what? At the same time. Well, come back with me now to the same book, Ephesians 5. You know, as I'm going to be sharing this with you, hopefully along the way, I like to kind of try to, you know, when I was... When I was studying maths at GCSEs, my teachers always said, show you're working out. Show how you got the answer that you did. I like to try to show you how I have read and come to understand the passage I'm talking about. So, the first step is, please, although we believe that every word and sentence and verse in the Bible is special and, and inspired, but don't just grab a verse out of context and run with it you'll end up in confusion. And there have been many, some of us perhaps have grown up in families, or if not, you know people, who they took this one, verse 22, wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands, and they ran with it. And they used it to figure out things like what breakfast cereal to get. You know? I like cornflakes. I like Weetabix. Well, I'm the husband, and the Bible says... <laughs> as if this is shopping advice. Let's never just grab one verse and pluck it out and, and, and eat it out of context. So let's start at the beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, it's in the New Testament. If you have one of those smartphones, then you just go to, the, to E for Ephesians. If you have the old-fashioned Bible, it's in the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, get past Acts, Romans, Corinthians. You're going to get there, okay? Chapter 5. And the first verse says... Okay? This is the end of Paul. He's been making an argument. And so he's now coming to the conclusion of his whole, the whole idea he's trying to get across. And he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be what? Imitators of God. So in other words, Paul is saying, listen, if you get nothing else, what I'm trying to get you to do is to be like God, is to act like God. Now, one of the most scary things you can do is to have a child. <laughs> I thought I was pretty good until I had a child. I, th I thought I was quite a good person. I even had some of my friends who had liked posts on Facebook of me, so I knew I, I, knew I was an intelligent person. You know? Then I had children, and I realized that they were crazy. <laughs> but the worst thing was, they were just copying me. <laughs> so therefore, I must actually be the crazy one. Have you, have you had this moment with parents, with your children? You see yourself in them, and it drives you to your knees with frustration and prayer. Oh God, help, help them. What is this? My daughters say things I say. My youngest girl, right, has started, she's 18 months, not even 18 months yet. One of the first sentences she learned or phrases was, right. <laughs> <laughs> She's walking around the house, you know. <sighs> right. <sighs> right. And I realized 
this is what I do, right? I, I finish something, I, I, you know, I finish breakfast, right, and I'm thinking, oh no, this, <laughs> there's so much more of the day to go till bedtime. Oh. She's, she, she's acting as if she has the weight on her world of her shoulders, right? Our oldest, I could tell you story after story about Eliana. By the way, I love you both very much, girls. Sorry I tell stories about you in church. But anyway, the point is this. Children naturally imitate their parents. And Paul is saying, if you want to get this whole Christianity thing, what it's all about, really, it's about trying to copy God. Like when he... How does he look at... How does, how does he walk? Does he look, how does he talk? What does he say? That's what Christianity is about. Okay? So, he continues, verse 2. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So that's the context. Everything that comes after that must be interpreted in that framework. Does it make sense? So if it's not imitating God, and if it's not out of love, then whatever else it might be, it can't be what Paul's talking about. Make sense? Together so far? All right, let's skip to verse 21. And he says, so he's been making this whole speech, he's talking about not being immoral and living in the light and being children of the day and all this good stuff. And then verse 21 he says, and be subject to one another, he's talking about Christians, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. He continues. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are the members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's what Paul says. That is Paul's clearest teaching on how to be happy and married at the same time. Now, we have to admit that while there is a, a scriptural context, there is also a cultural context. None of us were born in a vacuum. All of us grew up in some kind of home, whether we were with mom and dad or whether we were you know, raised by uncle or auntie or grandparents or in whatever way we were raised, we were raised in some context. And for those of us who are believers or who, who grew up in a believing family, there is also a spiritual context that we were raised in. In other words, 
the way in which my parents and grandparents and pastors and elders interpreted and lived out the scripture influences how I naturally see it. And so we also have to accept that we have, as Christians, misused and abused verse 22 because it suited our purposes. Many of us have been raised in cultures where we have been taught that by definition, a man is the head and that means he gets what he wants. And we have been taught that to think otherwise is not just to go against culture. Now, now, listen, there's nothing wrong with culture. Everyone has their own culture. That's fine. But we have been taught it's not just going against culture. It's going against scripture. And so we have laminated the Bible on top of our culture. And that is a very dangerous thing to do. Again, this morning, I'm not preaching against culture. If in your culture this is how you do it, that's fine. But all I want us to understand is, what is the biblical principle? And then ask, how do I best interpret that in my culture? Does it make sense? We don't all have to become English. We don't have to all be Zimbabwean. But we have to understand first the biblical principle, and then how does that influence my culture? So we've had this idea. We've had this idea. And listen, the Bible speaks volumes about respecting elders, amen, about respecting mothers, amen, respecting fathers. But somehow, this has become used as a way to figure out, like I said, who gets their breakfast cereal. Well, I'm dad, so I get to make the choice. Some of us have grown up in families where... When dad's not at home, now I'm going to step on some toes. So if this hurts you and you can't say amen, just say ouch, okay? <laughs> some of us are growing up in families where when dad comes home, the mask comes out. Mm, Lord. Right? When dad's not there, <laughs> dad comes home. We are marching to Zion. I'm just doing my homework in the Bible. Yep. We, 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 we start acting as different people. And some of us, and I'm talking about myself as well, even as adults, our relationship with our father is not as genuine as it is with our mother or siblings because we never had that real connection. Why? Because in our minds, we were trying to do this. And the thing is that it's not our dad's fault because his dad did the same for him. And his dad the same for his dad. And it goes back and back. But the scripture is teaching us, first of all, if we want to be Christians, we have to copy Jesus. We have to copy God. And second, what does that mean? It means love. Now, in case, in case you're not understanding what I'm saying, let me break it down even further. When you're studying a passage of scripture, and you want to figure out what God's emphasis is, an easy way to tell is how much words, how many verses he spends addressing a certain issue. In the time of the Bible, paper was not cheap like it is today. It was expensive to make. In fact, there wasn't even paper. It was parchment. The way you made it was you had to get a cow. Kill the cow. Now, some of you know that cows are valuable. Some of you come from cultures where cows act as, as, as value when you're getting married. So you don't just kill a cow just to write some doodles. 
You have to kill the cow. You have to treat the skin in a very special way, using different chemicals. And then finally you have parchment. And then on that parchment, you have to write what's very important. So when Paul wrote, he wasn't just, you know, I don't know, he was thinking this through. So if Paul takes two verses talking to wives and eight talking to husbands, that ought to tell us something. That ought to tell us that the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, listen, I know it's going to be tough for wives, but I'm, I, I need to spend four times more helping the men. Often we read 22, 23, 25, and then we stop reading. So let me break it down. The word in the Greek, by the way, second thing, third thing, maybe we're on the third thing now. Third thing, when you're interpreting the Bible, understand that the Bible was not written in English or in Shona, right? Or, or, or whatever. The Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, which means that all the Bibles we read are translations. And everyone here who's bilingual knows that translation is not the easiest thing to do, right? Sometimes there are things that you can say in your language, which when you try to say it in English, it just doesn't quite make the same sense, right? And, that's, and, and the same thing in English. You, we say these things, then you go to work, and the English people, they're saying these things, and you're like, it's not really funny. <laughs> and you go home, and you drink your red bush, and you think, these people are crazy. Why did we come to this country? <laughs> But, but, but there are some things that the language is not just the words, it's the context. It's the shows that you grew up as a kid watching, and that was a catchphrase, and that's why it's funny. But if you don't know all of that, it's the same with the scripture. That's not to say that the Bible is unreliable. It just means you've got to make sure, you've got to be real, real sure before you jump up with the, with, the, with the interpretation that you understand what Paul was saying. So the word in Greek translated as submit is the word hupo. Now, there will be no points for remembering that word. But let me help you understand what it means. It's a compound word. Everyone say compound. compound. That means it's made up of two words. The word hupo and the word staso. Okay? Now, hupo is the Greek word from which we get our English word hypoglycemia. Do you know about hypoglycemia? Hypoglycemia. What does that mean? You nurses out there. Hypoglycemia. Low blood sugar, right? Hyper is high. Hypo is low. If you've ever heard of the condition of hypoxia, right? Because there's low oxygen. So this Greek word means under. It means what? Okay. Tasso is the Greek word that simply means arrange, place, station, position. That's what it means. Okay. What it means? It means arrange, place, station, position. So together, the word means arranged under. Are you with me? Placed under. Stationed under. But there's one more thing you have to understand. In the Greek, the way that this word is inflected, it means that the actor of the verb is the person. So it's not you arrange me under. That's not what it means. It means... I arrange myself under. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what the English word that we say submit, that's what it means. So literally Paul is saying, wives, place yourselves under your husbands. 
I thought, I thought, I thought about three people would get that. I thought I think maybe one or two people. Wives, position yourselves under. That, that's just what the Bible says. That's what it says. Now, I hope you recognize the double meaning inherent in the word choice. Of course, this word refers to the position in an army, the position in. But it can also be used for the position of the Bible. Place the Bible, hupostasso, the hymnal. You can use the same word to mean that. So here's the key point. Submission cannot be something someone else makes you do. Are you, are you with me? The word itself means I put my, I willingly place myself under. By the way, this is what obedience to God is like too. Have you noticed that God has not come down with a stick recently? to beat you, to get you to church in the morning. Have you noticed this? Yes. Have you noticed that God, God of the universe, when you are paying attention to him, he doesn't pull up in his big car and, by the way, I'm God. What are you doing with him? Have you noticed he doesn't do this? God's, the obedience that God wants from us is when I willingly place myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he says, wives, it's real simple. You're doing it at church. I just want you to take this same self-sacrificial attitude home. Willingly place yourself under the leadership of your husband. Now, 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 now. Don't stop there because the, the word continues. And this is a very key point. He says, be subject to your own husbands as to the what? Okay. This may step on your toes. If you can't say amen, say what? You, if you want, now, now, you don't have to be a Christian woman. By the way, you don't have to be a Christian to have a good marriage. Is that okay? You know that, right? But if you happen to be a Christian woman, it's quite difficult to submit to someone as to the Lord if they aren't also submitted to the Lord. Are you with me? Yes. Now, I'm not trying to talk about your relationship. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about... But I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to interpret what Paul is saying. Paul is putting the caveat that I obviously am assuming that you're both on the same page. If you aren't both on the same page, then I can't give you the same instruction. In fact, what Paul says to wives whose husbands aren't of the faith, he says, love them, treat them kindly, and maybe they will come to know Jesus over time. That's what he says. He does not say to them, place yourself under. Why? Because if that, by the way, you might have your name on the church book, doesn't mean you're a real Christian. If that man is not submitted to Jesus Christ, ladies, you're going to struggle to be able to trust him with everything. Now, I know that might hurt, but the truth is, if we're honest, some of us, how do we say this, Jesus? There are many wonderful things, wonderful experiences of marriage that you can have that have nothing to do with faith. Taking the kids to the park, it's got nothing to do with faith. It's just about the park. It's great. Going to, to watching the World Cup, crying together when Rooney misses. It's got nothing to do. But, there are, but when you get into that, that, that area of life where you're talking about ultimate reality, where, where, where do I ultimately want my life and my eternity to go? If me and my wife aren't on the same page, there's going to be some conflict. 
right? That's, that's not rocket science. In fact, even secular psychologists recognize this. So all Paul is saying is, if you're going to willingly place yourself under, make sure the person you're placing yourself under, you can do it as to the Lord. If you can't do it as to the Lord, love him, you know, don't kick him out. Pray for him. Now that's what the wives are to do. Now the eight verses. Lord have mercy. Men, Lord have mercy. Husbands. Now, sometimes we just read the Bible and we don't even think what it's saying. Listen to what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now, for me, that verse is impossible. It's in, it's, I've not even come close to this. Can I help you understand why? Let's just review how Christ loved the church. Okay, let's think. Number one, the wife he chose wasn't the best-looking woman out there, right? You know this. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, the old prophets, they describe God's people as, as, as an adulterer. In other words, she wasn't a pure woman when he met her. She had made many mistakes and been in many other relationships. That's who he chose. Number one, she didn't even love him. Not really. She didn't respect him. She didn't obey. And on top of that, he gave up his vast riches to marry her. He left his father. He actually broke connection with his family. You, you, some of you have had this conversation. Listen, if you're going to be with them, you know, you've got to choose. Because you know, in our family, we don't have... You've had this conversation, right? Jesus said, fine, if that's the choice, I'll leave the family. I'll become human. That's how Christ loved the church. He gave her gifts. He wrote her letters in the hope that she would marry him. Now, how on earth am I supposed to do that for my dear wife? Oh, it's almost so impossible that I believe that the Holy Spirit is trying to get across to men the reality that you cannot do this by yourself. You have to be submitted to Jesus to even attempt this. There's no way you could do this otherwise. The, the Bible continues. It says, not only that, he gave himself up for her. Look at the picture of Christ loving. Christ loving isn't, I'm the Savior, therefore we do what I say. No, it's like, I give myself up for you. If one of us has to die, it's me. If one of us has to spend the money, I spend mine. That's Christ's way, right? He goes on. So he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. In other words, the words that Jesus speaks to his wife makes her better. Oh, let me say that again. The words that come out of Jesus' mouth make his wife better. Husbands. Your wife should be better because she married you. Amen. Five years after marrying you, she should look better, be more comfortable, feel better. Not because you've been pushing her in the gym, but because the words of blessings. The words of blessings, the words of love are such that they've been transforming her. That's what, that's what Jesus... Now again, men, I'm, I'm admitting, I'm with you here, brothers. I don't do this. I, I, I don't do, but this is what the Bible says. He continues. 
that he might present her to himself in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Okay, if you can't say amen, say what? So when your body is hungry and you want to feed it and you come home and there is no food, the Bible says love your wife as your own what? So you can't argue with her about the food because that would not be loving her as your own body. That just, this is just what the Bible says. It's hard, brothers. It's hard. Please just shake my I feel I feel alone, brother. Shake my hand, please, elder. It's hard. It's hard. This is why I'm saying, this is what I'm saying. If if husbands, if you want a wife who's gonna place herself under you, then you have to be above like Jesus. You don't just get this because you were born with XY chromosome. You can only get this if you've come under the power of the cross. Now, like I said. You can have a great marriage. You don't have to be crazy. You don't have to submit to Jesus. You can have a great marriage. But if you want this kind of marriage, this is something only the Spirit can give you. So here's my point, brothers and sisters. Who was asked the harder task? What is easier? What is harder? To put your place, place yourself under or to, or to sacrifice yourself? In fact, is it different, really? Is God asking men or women to do anything different? Wives? Place yourself under your husbands. In other words, put them first. Husbands, love your wife like I love the church. And how did I do it? I sacrificed myself. I put her first. In fact, he's saying the same thing. Mm. Yes. He's saying the same thing. (coughs) Wives, if you want a husband who lives up to the standard that God has set, then you need to treat him like the church treat Jesus. Now watch this, watch this. How many of you would regularly come to a church where every week, Sabbath or Sunday, whenever you go, every time they get there, everyone just talks about how bad God has been for the whole week. You know, God doesn't do this for me and he doesn't do this for me. And the pastor stands up to preach, God's terrible, he never answers our prayers. Who who of you would stay in this church? So then why do you think if you call your girlfriends, your sisters on the phone, and talk about how terrible your husband has been, maybe you're not going to stay in that marriage either. You know, he never says anything. He never buys me anything. Wives, love your husband. In other words, sometimes you need to praise him. Now watch this. In the Bible, we are instructed to praise God before he does it. Oh, I, I thought someone would get that. You don't wait till he's done it. I know he's been promising for five months to fix the toilet, but praise him before he's done it. You're such a good man. You take care of us. You fix the toilet. What a praise God for you. Praise him before. I tell you, there's no man among us. As much as we like, as much as we like to... But brothers, let's be honest. When the person you love the most is singing your praises. You walk a little bit taller. Now, one of the things I love about my wife is that if anyone, even in a little bit, says anything even a little bit possibly could be interpreted as slightly negative about me, she overcompensates with how wonderful she thinks I am. Now, I know myself. 
I've looked in the mirror. I know what my issues are. But in my wife's eyes, I'm Will Smith, Brad Pitt, you know? And so I can live up to her. But if, if I'm doing my best and I come home tired, beat up at work, because let's be honest, some of us are working jobs. This wasn't our dream when we were 15, right? But I'm doing it for my family and I come home and all I get is a... Mm. <laughs> so he says, listen, guys, you want to you love your heart, praise him, give him thanks, give him glory. And, and secondly, you need to have moments of intimacy. What would a relationship with Jesus be without those intimate moments with Jesus? Wives, your husband needs moments of intimacy with you. You want to have a man who walks tall and is striving to be all he can be in Christ. Love him as Christ, as the church loves Christ. But husbands, you want a woman who looks good, who's happy when you come home, doesn't scurry to the internet to avoid talking to you. Then speak powerful words of affirmation and love to her. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you are more than a conqueror. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus doesn't say, you've gained a little weight. He doesn't say this. He doesn't doesn't say this. Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks what you will be before you are. Husbands, and this is hard because some of us we're silent types, right? We don't we don't do we don't do with the words, we'll do it with the actions. But brothers, Jesus did both. He climbed the cross, but he also preached the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we have to learn how to say the words, I love you. What would the Bible be if we took out all the times that God said, I love you? If all that was left was, you know. Don't commit adultery and don't... If that was all that was left, how many of us would still be here today? I know there have been many times when I felt condemned and I have gone to the scriptures and I've been so glad to find that it's still there for God so loved the world that he gave his only... Husbands, you have to say that you love them even when they don't do the things you hoped they would. Even when there are lumps in the sadza. You're gonna, this is the best sadza in Jesus' name. Oh. Let, me tell you, let me tell you a true story. Let me tell you a true story. If, if your culture doesn't eat sadza, just interpret that for yourself. The pasta, the rice, the, 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 the mashed potato, whatever it is. Interpret, right? My uncle, my uncle, married uh, my auntie, who's, you know, like they've been married for 30, 35 years. My, let me tell you, my auntie's a good cook. My auntie's one of the best cooks I've ever known. But they one day told us the story that when they got married, she could not even boil water. I mean, you know? And apparently my grandmother, my, my dad's dad, uh, my dad's mum, was a good cook. So my uncle came, and some of us brothers, you've come from this, you come from a home where mum can cook, and then you get married, Right? And, 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 you know, you know, and by the way, husbands, you can cook too. There's no verse in the Bible that says, wives, thou shalt cook. Just saying. But, but, 
But culturally, culturally, many of us culturally, the, the usual thing is the wife could spoil the husband. And that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But here's the thing. You know, some of us, we get mad and then, and then, and then you know, first day, beans on toast, that's cool. Day one, that's cool. You know, second day, beans, second week, you know, sausage. <laughs> We're thinking, I'm used to at home, cherry day, chicken, you know, and so in the, the beginning of the relationship, my uncle was telling her, what is this? You know, my mom, you know, would cook this. There's not enough salt. Try to put some salt. Did you put seasonings? Yes. But I don't know what you did wrong, because something's wrong. This is, how could you, did you put onions? Yes. Well, I don't know. And so after a while, my uncle said, well, then, if your mom is such a good cook, we'll go back and let her cook for you. And so he did. He was hungry, right? So he goes back to his mum. And he's complaining. Oh, what's wrong with her? She can't cook. You know, the onions in the guy is not right. And then the chicken is not cooked. Pink in the middle. And his mum listens to him and then says, you know, son, here's what you should do. Go back. And any time she cooks something, this is what you say. Oh, thank you, darling. This was so delicious. Just say that. Oh, mum, it's not. She's not enough salt. It's okay. It's okay. I understand. Just say that. So he did. He's a good boy. He listens to his mum. He went back. Beans and toast. These are the best beans. Did you toast this bread yourself? This is the, the crispiness on the outside. Did you, did you put the butter yourself? Oh my goodness. How do, you, how do you butter the bread in such a loving and sexy way? I don't even understand how do you do it. He kept saying it. And she thought, okay. The next day, she put a little, little herbs in the beans. Experimenting. What? Did you put herbs? That, that's a brilliant idea. Okay. Two weeks later, she tried a little rice. It burnt a little bit, but the smoky flavor is so delicious. <laughs> it tastes like barbecue, a kind of Brazilian. When you're going for a Brazilian kind of barbecue, it's delicious. The rice was hard. This rice is so crispy. Just so. <laughs> So crunchy, very al dente. You'll learn some Italian words. Al dente. Here's the point. By praising, by speaking words of love, this same woman became one of the best cooks. He never sent her to a cooking school. He just spoke words of love. Husbands, you don't realize the power you have in your words. That wife that you've always dreamed of, you can have. In fact, you already have. And if she isn't, the question is, what have you not been speaking? What haven't you said? Where haven't you loved? Did I tell you that this this sermon is not going to be fun? Ouch. Amen. So Paul concludes. He concludes, and so do we. Verse 35, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. This is what it boils down to. Wives, give your husband unconditional respect. Husbands, (laughs) husbands, give your wives unconditional love. Amen. If you do this, if if you put the other first and you second as to the Lord, you're going to be happy and married 
at the same time. Tootsie and Everjoy, you guys are already doing this because you're only one month in. You know, I've noticed that God gives us, you know like when you go to buy a phone from the shop these days? In the past, the battery was not charged. Do you remember that? You bought your phone and then you're excited and nothing, you have to go home and charge it for, for overnight. You remember those days? But now they got smart. They charge the phone first, right? So you get the phone and, oh, you're texting and tweeting and everything. But what happens? That first charge does what? It runs out. Same with us in our love. Right now, you've, been, you've got the battery. You're, 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 looking at, you're looking at other people, aunties, uncles, and like, how do they, this is so simple. But why don't they do it like us, babe? I don't understand. You know, if, if only everyone loved like we love. You know, the world would be a better place. But don't worry, the battery will be charged. The battery will run down. And this is why we have to come back to Jesus for the recharge. Because love only comes from Him. And so I was preaching to you, but I was really preaching to them. But now I want to say to you guys continue to recharge the love you have for each other by connecting with Jesus Christ. Love her, respect Him. You guys will be happy and married at the same time.